Well, hello again, friends. What a privilege it is to be back. Uh, tonight, we have quite a bit to cover. Um, I've been moved in my spirit to do this lesson. And uh, politics, politics. Today is Friday, July the 3rd, twenty. And we're going to take a break from even the news of our day and night, and we're going to get back to Bible doctrine. Tonight, I have a very, very important lesson for you, okay? We're going to do Bible study tonight, and I think you'll be blessed from this lesson because in this lesson, there are so many points and so many bones of contention that we as Christians have with, for example, the charismatic movement. You know, in some quarters, they, they speak with unknown tongues and things of that nature. This lesson impacts that. It impacts uh, a behavior such as laying on of hands. You know, some groups emphasize the laying on of hands and the things of that nature. And we're going to see all of those behaviors or disciplines, okay, in their, can we say, origin tonight in this lesson. Tonight's lesson is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Very, very important lesson. And we're going to walk through the passages of scripture, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this journey with me. Let us pray. I, I want to give a shout out to, you know, Chris O. Thank you. It's good to know that you're out there and you are listening to our broadcast and, and you are a supporter. I thank you very much. Okay. And all the rest of you, you know, my brothers and sisters, you know how I feel about you. I can call names, but, but I think this hour will be best spent in this lesson, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. If you are unsaved, you can, it'll all come together with this lesson, and you can give your heart to the Lord at the conclusion of this lesson. If you are already saved, it will be very edifying to you, and what a wonderful blessing, and it may clear up a few misconceptions about things that we have heard and things that we have seen, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, our God, Father, we thank you for life and that more abundantly. We are grateful, oh God, just knowing how much you love us. We have seen some of the parables you've given us in scripture, like the prodigal son, and we saw how you ran out to meet him. And we realized that every one of us are prodigal children. All we like sheep have gone astray. Lord, we come confessing our sins to you. We, we are not excited about anything that we are. We're just excited about all that you have given to us in Jesus, who is the Christ. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. For without him, we wouldn't have a prayer. For we are yet without strength in due time, but Christ died for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your ministry. We thank you for everything that you have done and all that you're doing now. And yet the best is yet to come. And we look forward with great anticipation to the blessings that, that are yet ahead for us. You've gone to prepare a place for us that where you are, there we may be also. So, oh God, this place is getting to, it's no longer our home, and, and we are beginning to feel it, oh God. So we pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But we thank you for giving us a little bit more time to reach our loved ones. We pray for our listeners, our supporters. We pray for the children, the grandchildren. Marriages is, Lord, we know marriage is honorable before all men, and we know that that is your design for having children. But, Lord, we've gotten so far away from your word, and we've gotten so far away from you that there's almost no hope in the world right now. So we thank you for the your, the body of Christ, they that, that pray without ceasing, they that preach, O oh Lord, even when people don't want to hear it, they that stand gap, O oh Lord, we look 
back in Scripture, and we see you you said they wandered in dens and they were all over the place. The world really weren't wasn't worthy of so many of your loving children. And even now, it seems as though they don't want to hear from us, O oh Lord. But we know that our redemption draweth near, and we know that when we leave, it'll become extremely difficult for our loved ones to be saved. So, O oh God, please soften their hearts and that we might pour in the medicine of the gospel that they will come to believe on thee, to realize that we have been born again just because we put our trust in what you have done, not that we could do anything of ourselves. Our righteousness is of thee. So bless us now this hour from your word. We know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by your word. So, O oh God, that we might be more faithful and more committed in our service to thee. In Jesus' name, we ask these blessings, O oh God, and God's children said amen. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew, the 16th chapter, we're going to read some of it. This lesson is purely biblical. There's so little that I need to narrate or, or even steer you into in this particular text. It says this. Uh, we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Now, that revelation had not come before then. It had never been spoken, all right? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. That bar means son of. So Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. So he changes his name to the stone. Okay, his name was Simon, the son of Jonah. Okay, but now he nicknames him Peter. And, and he said, and upon this rock, that rock, that statement that you made, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But what he says in verse 19 bears a lot of scrutiny because he said, I will give unto thee Simon Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So the declaration may have been a little premature, okay? And Simon Peter the impetuous one was the one who made the declaration. But Jesus said, I'm giving to you personally, Simon Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think it was uh, uh, C.S. Lewis who said, before God can use a man truly, he usually breaks him deeply. You know, the Lord, before he can use us, he strips off the out of an air and, and he shapes us and molds us into the image of his son. And now that work begins in Simon Peter's life. Now, when you look at this and think about it, okay, uh, you can see it as we go through the scripture. For example, it was always Simon. It was Simon who said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to walk unto you on the water. It was that Simon Peter who walked on the water to Jesus. He lost his faith for a second, but he walked back to the boat with Jesus. It was Simon Peter who said, what manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It was Simon Peter. I mean, the, 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 the man was always there. He was always present. Lord, 
Let's build three tabernacles here. One to you, one to Moses, one to Elijah at the transfiguration. It was Peter, Simon Peter, who Jesus sent into the city. And he said, you'll find a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enter in and say to the good man of the house that the master hath need of your guest chamber. So you will find that Peter was one of the most active and present disciples. And Jesus was building his faith. It was Peter that he gave... He told him, go down to the sea and you'll catch a fish. And in that fish's mouth, you're going to catch one fish. Open the fish's mouth and you'll find the money to pay my taxes and yours. Okay? And, and so you saw the faith and, and the movement of Peter and the growth of Peter as time went on. But then you come to Matthew chapter 26 and Jesus is nearing his crucifixion, can we say his past, passion, his death, burial, and resurrection, all right? Now, we're in the upper room. Now, I want you to stop and consider what's going on in the upper room. Jesus and his 12 are at the head table. There are other tables. We don't know how many people are there, but there was always a crowd. And, and we, I believe the son Zebedee's wife was there because some of the conversation in the upper room discourse, you know, where she asked Jesus to let one of her sons sit on his left hand, the other sit on his right hand. Much happened there in the upper room. If, in fact, when it was time to wash their feet, Simon Peter said, no, you're not washing my feet. And I understand his protest. Okay. We need to wash your feet. And Jesus said, well, you have no part with me if, if you don't get your feet washed. It was Simon Peter that night who, who said, Lord, it was time to go out after they had eaten. And, and he said, here are two swords. And Jesus said, it's enough. He let Simon Peter bring a sword. Peter was no swordsman. He was a fisherman. So he tried to to split Malchus's, you know, helmet, the Roman soldier's helmet had a seam down the center and a good swordsman could, could actually hit that seam. But he missed terribly and cut the young man's ear off. And Jesus reattached this young man's ear. Could you imagine you were there in that crowd, okay? You see a crowd coming to arrest Jesus. It's after midnight. They had been in the Garden of Gethsemane and all of that stuff. And, and, and you know, all the lights lit and all that stuff. You know, people love problems like that, and everybody comes out to see. And you see Jesus pick a guy's air up and reattach it in love, even though that man came to arrest him. Okay? What an awesome picture. But, you know, at that point, I'd be converted, and, I, you know, I'd follow Jesus wherever he went. But in that upper room... Jesus said some things that are very, very, very telling and very important. Here's what happened. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. We're in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 34. Verse 31 said, Then saith Jesus unto them, All of you shall be offended because of me tonight. Okay? You're going to regret knowing me. You're going to totally act like you never knew me. You know, we've done that a lot, haven't we, as Christians? Huh? How many times have you denied Christ because you wanted the pleasures of this life? You, you understand what I'm saying? So none of us are above repute here, okay? Just stop and consider what I'm saying. Now, so Jesus said, one of you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, tonight, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, thou shalt have denied me Three times. The rest is history. You know what happened. Okay? I mean, I mean, just think about it for a minute. You know what happened. Peter was confronted on three different occasions, but at least he attempted to stay near Jesus. Peter, he said, I'll never betray you. These others might betray you, but I'll never be. Jesus, no, he meant well. 
And the third time that the, the rooster crowed, the Bible says Jesus just happened to be walking by and they made eye contact. Did you know that? You can go read that in the scripture. Could you imagine? Just as they brought Jesus out, he had already denied before several maidens that were there. One, one girl said, hey, look, I know him. He was with that Jesus that they arrested. Who are you talking about? I don't know that man. At one point he was speaking and they say, you know, your speech gives you away. You must be from down there where Jesus, I don't know him. And the third time the young maiden walked up to him and she said, surely you had been with him. You were one of Jesus' disciples. Peter swore. He used profanity, okay, so, you know, to show that he is worse than what he was, to show that his, his, his true bark was worse than his bite, you know. And at times we do that as Christians. What are you, you trying to dumb down Christianity? But here is Peter, okay, denying Jesus for the third time. And as soon as he does it, he looks up and they're walking Jesus by. You know, he had eight trials that day, okay, that early morning before sunup. They had to rush it through because they feared the people. And you know they wanted to release Barabbas, okay, and they did. So the bottom line is Simon heard the rooster. And he looked up and they made eye contact. Oh, my God, it had been over for Simon Peter. So now Jesus goes ahead and we have the crucifixion. Now, don't forget the message is the keys of the kingdom. If I miss anything, we'll come back to it. So now we have the crucifixion. <sighs> what an ugly time. You can imagine, you can only imagine Peter at the crucifixion. All of the 11 that remained, Judas Iscariot had gotten paid and, you know, he couldn't live with himself. But Peter did. He survived it. And we can only imagine while Jesus is on the cross, reconciling the world unto himself and not... I just want you to think about it for one second. And Simon Peter is so ashamed. And Jesus is crucified unto death. So now Simon's fate is sealed as far as he is concerned because up to then no one believed he would arise from the dead. So when Jesus arose from the dead and, and, and he came and Mary came to him and, you know, they came to anoint the body that Mary and Bethany had anointed a week earlier because there wasn't going to be time between the crucifixion and darkness. So Jesus had to be put in the body, you know, and God, I mean, God is omniscient. So he knew all of these things and he took care of all of the pieces. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I, I just want you to think about this for a minute, okay? Jesus's body is in the grave. He comes back. An angel comes and rolled a stone away, okay? And the angels, you know, the, 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 the guards played like they were dead men. Then they ran into the town, they got paid, and, and so on, told that, you know, tell people that his disciples came and stole the body away, all right? And then Mary saw him, and, and, and Jesus said this. He said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell the, the disciples that I've risen from the dead. But he didn't say it like that. He said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. When she went and she told them, John and Peter ran. Okay, John got there first, but Peter came in after him and ran right in there. And he saw, you can imagine, Peter had been broken. Because he thought Jesus' death was the final act, and he wouldn't get the privilege of apologizing to him for all. I mean, we forsook all and followed you, okay? So we love you. And Peter loved Jesus, even though John was the one who always described himself as laying on Jesus' breast. 
So when Peter saw Jesus that night, oh, you can only imagine. Oh, my God, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I apologize. I acted impetuously. I, you know, I'm just, just the way I am sometimes. And, 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 I'm, and, and you can imagine the restoration and the relief. There are a lot of people that need relief, that have suffered so many traumatic things. And I'm just telling you, if you come to Jesus Christ and you bring not just your sin, bring yourself to Jesus and cast yourself into his arms, okay, and you will find peace that passeth all understanding. You will find hope. You will find a fullness of joy. I mean, there, there is nothing like a relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus, who is the Christ of God. And God loves us so much. And his love made all of that possible. But here, don't forget, we're going to stay with the lesson. This lesson is the keys of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus actually gave to Simon. Nicknamed Peter. Now, here is what happened. Jesus had arisen from the dead. The first night they saw him, he ate with them, but one of the disciples wasn't there. Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas Didymus wasn't there. So eight days later, Jesus came back just for Thomas. And they were all in a room, closed up again, and he entered the room and said, peace be unto you. And, oh, here's Jesus again. And, and, and he, he said, Thomas, come here. He said, I don't want you without faith. I want you believing. And he said, thrust here your, your finger into my side. Sure enough. He said, now look at the nail prints in my hands. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, now, okay, because you have seen, you believe, but blessed are they that will not see that will believe. Oh, that's those of us who have come in to the kingdom by faith. Okay? Peter had the key. So now, here is the situation. So now, that's the second time that Jesus came to them. Now, let's look at the third time. Jesus came to them. Very, very, uh, very important, important day. All right? It says, after these things, John chapter 21, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Verse 2, they were together, Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana, that's three, of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, that's five. And then two other disciples. So Simon Peter said unto them, verse 3, I go fishing. And they said unto him, we also go with you. So now Peter, the same guy who Jesus had been working on and building his character and building his faith, all right, now, in the absence of Jesus for just a little while, just remember, Jesus stayed around for 40 days after his resurrection. But this is only the third time that they're seeing him. So now, picture this. We have loose time. We have time on our hands. Let's go fishing. Well, wait a minute. When Jesus called you three and a half years ago, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You were supposed to retire from your former vocation of fishing for fish. I mean, he sent you down to, and told you catch the first fish and, and you'll find, you know, gold in his mouth or silver and go and pay our taxes. And Jesus could do, he was just working on Simon Peter, building his faith. And now all that had faith seemed to be on a shelf somewhere because this man is deciding that he is going to abandon their calling and waiting for the Holy Spirit, the comforter, that he was going to go back and start his old vocation up. You know, we tend to go back to a lot of things that we did habitually after we come to Christ and the euphoria wears off. Now, here is Simon Peter, and he's taking six of the guys with him. I'm going fishing, but it says this. They went forth, we're in verse 3, okay? They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night, they caught nothing. Do you think you would catch fish 
during that time. Now pay attention to what's going on here. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. You know why he came? Because this was a very, very important turning point. And he wanted to turn it back the other way in a very impressive way. Okay, then Jesus said unto them, verse 5, we're in John chapter 21. Okay, Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? And they answered him, no. Okay, now the scripture describes them as being a hundred yards or so away. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. Okay, and they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw from the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girthed his fisherman's coat unto himself, okay, for he was naked. He put on his, you know, the outer thingy, and, and did cast himself into the sea. That's Simon for you. He wasn't planning to walk, but he was going to get there before they got into a smaller boat and, and you know, came on to shore, okay? But get, check this out. It says, and the other disciples, verse 8, came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but were 200 cubits, okay, dragging the net with fishes. That's approximately 100 yards, like I said, 200 cubits. You know, a cubit is 18 inches, no matter how we look at it. And, and the Bible says, as soon then as they will come to land, guess what? They saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Do you understand what just happened? They fished all night. They caught nothing. He didn't send you back fishing for fish. It was imperative. It was important that you didn't catch anything that night because you turn right back around and start fishing for fish again. And then here he comes and he tells you, okay, come on in. And you get there and he has fish. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. Okay? Is all he was saying to them. So now, Simon Peter gets his second lesson of the threes. You remember before the cock crows, you would have denied me three times? Okay? That, that, that stuck under his skin. That messed with Simon Peter. Okay? And that, that sore had barely healed. And then... Jesus feeds them. Then he says, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, well, then feed my sheep. Then he said it again, Simon, Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, yeah. He said, well, feed my lambs. Then he said it the third time, and Peter just broke down, you know. Okay, I had just denied you three times just the other day, and I mean, I, I'm just now healing from that, and now this happens. Okay, so Simon is, is, is learning his lesson. And Jesus told, tells him, you know, now you're young, you can go where you want to, but you're going to get old, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go, signifying how he was going to die. Okay? And then Simon looked at John, you know, that other disciple whom Jesus loved, as John describes himself, and said, well, what's going to happen to this man? Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, well, what business is it of yours if he tarries until I come? You follow me. I got a job for you. I got a job for him. And guess what? John did tarry until Jesus came. Because when Jesus came to give John the revelation, all of the other apostles, all legend had said they had all died. And John was still on the Isle of Patmos. And Jesus came to him. And you read Revelation chapter 1, John describes Jesus while he was there. We know he didn't die on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, rumor has it, or legend has it, that he re returned to Ephesus where he died of old age. But I, I, I want you to see, okay, what Jesus had been doing with Simon Peter, okay? So when he asked him three times, okay, it really messed Peter up, 
Okay, because he's been working on Peter. He's been preparing Peter. And, you know, that child that 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 is the heir, the one who who you, you want to turn things over to seem to have the hardest time. You know what I mean? Because you want to shape them and mold them and you want to bring them through the fire so they get tested more and things of that nature. They might not understand it while they're going through it, but you might be preparing them for something. And that's what Jesus had been doing with Simon. Peter, because don't forget the title of this lesson is the keys of the kingdom. So now this cements Simon's faith. Okay, this one act here, okay, really, really did a lot of damage to him uh, when Jesus questioned his love and his loyalty. Do you love me more than these? Well, feed my sheep. Don't take these boys fishing and pull. Don't put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in your brother's way. All right. Now, that was the third time Jesus came to them. And Peter is learning because the Lord is preparing him for this ministry. He is the one who has the key to the kingdom of heaven. And Peter is going to open that door to three specific different groups. It was going to be it's going to have to be done this way. So he's being prepared with threes. OK, just understand what's going on here now. Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it's time for him to use the key for the first time. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh-oh, here's where things begin to get interesting. Because people have taken that. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with unknown tongues. It does not say. there. You won't find Every time you see the word unknown, where tongues are concerned, the word is italicized. It means it was added for clarification. You can't build a doctrine on an italicized word. It was never there. It doesn't say that they spoke with unknown tongues. What is that? That's some kind of kundalini spirit. You know, that's Satanism, okay? Don't let anybody tell you that that is how God is operating with unknown tongues. You won't find that in the Bible. We are talking about what happened on the day of Pentecost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You think the Spirit is going to have you murmuring and mumbling when there is work that needs to be done? People need to hear about Jesus and what he has done to relieve the burden of sin and the scourge of death. People need to hear about Jesus Christ. They don't need for you to impress them with some foreign language that is supposed to be a sign, but that's not what happened on the day of Pentecost. What people are masquerading with today called unknown tongues, it didn't happen anywhere in the scripture. Please understand, the Bible speaks of tongues all the time as a spiritual gift. All it is, look at what happened on that day, all right? On the day of Pentecost, okay, here is what happened. Here is what happened. Now, there appeared unto them, verse 3, cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't forget, they're in the upper room. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Of course, God confounded their speech when they built the Tower of Babel, okay, and he scattered them. He gave them many languages, and you had to leave with the group that spoke something that you could understand. God knew what he was doing then. So at the Tower of Babel, he divided man and, and gave him different tongues. And at Pentecost, he brings them back, okay, with their many tongues, and they leave with one. Here is what happened on that day, okay? Now, it says in verse 6, now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Did you get that? Simple English. This is from the King James Bible. We are talking Acts 
Chapter 2, verse 6. Every man heard them speak in his own language, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, verse 7, I, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? And how hear, he, hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now it tells you the countries they were, were from, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, and dwellers of Mesopotamia and, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus in Asia, Phyagira and Pamphylia in Egypt and in other parts of Libya and about Serene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So everybody could understand. When somebody speaks in an unknown tongue, who understands that? Nobody. There's no use for it. What, you trying to impress somebody that you what? So it, it's just dumb. Don't listen to that stuff, all right? They did. People are, are trying to hijack scripture, okay? And without the spirit of God, you have no discernment, so you're going to go all the wrong places with it. And that's what happened with this tongue thing. So it's used as some barometer as to whether you have the spirit of God. No, it is not. Okay? That's not what you have here. So you got whole religions calling themselves apostolic this and, and Pentecostal that and all of this from this one experience to the Jews. You're not Jewish. Pentecost was for the Jewish people. Please understand that. Jews and proselytes, verse 10 tells us, Cretes and everybody who came to Jerusalem to keep the feast. Pentecost means 50. So guess what? 50 days after they came to keep the three feasts, then they keep Pentecost. Okay, And it was eliminated at that point because it was no longer necessary. All that Pentecostal feast was for was to get God's people prepared to come there so that they will be there to receive the gospel. And they were there to receive the gospels. Now, here's what happened now. Okay, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? We're talking about their preaching. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Uh-oh. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be it known unto you and listen to my words. For these men are not drunken as you suppose, seeing but it is nine o'clock in the morning, the third hour of the day. All right. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and my handmaids will I pour out in those days my spirit and they shall prophesy. That is what was being fulfilled in their hearing. So Peter Simon Peter is using the key for the first time. He came unto his own first. They had to write the first refusal. So he uses the key to open the door to the Jewish people. It says in chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, you know. Anyway, why, why am I reading that? Okay. But, but here's what happened. So now the door is open to the Jewish people. Now, when you look at what happened in the conversation, all right, let's look at it for a minute. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Don't forget, he has the key. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. Oh, I wish I had time to pause there. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all his witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Just think about it for a minute. 
So Peter is opening the door to the Jews. And when Peter opens the door to the Jews, at that point, every Jewish Christian has a copy of that key. And we can lead every Jewish person to Christ because the door was only open to the Jewish people. Don't forget, he had to use the key three times. Peter had to learn a lot of things in threes. Then we come to Acts chapter 8 where the gospel is coming from the Jew first, and it's coming towards the Gentiles, also to the Greek. But the Samaritans were half Jewish, okay, and half Gentile. So quite naturally, they had a lot of the same covenant. Abraham was their father too, okay, but they needed salvation. And this is Peter's second use of the key. Now, here is what happened. In Acts chapter 8, we see Samaria receiving the gospel. Very, very important lesson. It says, and Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, Acts 8 and 1. They had just stoned Stephen. You know what happened? Here is what happened. The Lord Jesus, on the day that he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight, said unto them, okay, Yes, you will receive the promise of the Father, okay? You know, we know he was telling, preparing them, okay, for the Spirit of God coming. But, 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 but when you look at it, Jesus in his preparation for them, he told them, wait here for the promise of the Father. I mean, you guys have seen me pre-crucifixion, and post-resurrection, but you still have to wait for the power with which to preach and to teach. So on the day of Pentecost, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. It was symbolized by a cloven tongue of fire lighting on each of them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And immediately when you receive the Holy Ghost, you begin to prophesy. So they preached on that day, men came to Christ, Okay, the Holy Spirit has been liberally giving, given to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of them accepted Christ. So they took that gospel and returned home with it after that Pentecostal feast. So we see Peter and them living in the faith at this particular point. And now it's time for the church to move. Jesus said, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But they were stuck in Jerusalem. So the church needed to be persecuted just a little bit in order to get them moving. And it says in Acts 8 and verse 1, it says, Saul was consented unto, consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Guess what? He said, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But you all were stuck in Jerusalem, partying in Solomon's porch, having a good time, dealing with Ananias and Sapphira, and all of that magnificent stuff that was happening. But the church was still stuck in Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So they wouldn't go into, he couldn't pull them into Judea and Samaria. So he drove them into Judea and Samaria. I'll read it again. Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad. So he scattered them where he wanted them to go because they wouldn't go voluntarily. So they had to run into Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen and bury, buried him, and great lamentation was made over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house. You familiar with what happened there, okay? But, but after you read that, guess what happened? It tells us in verse 5, Then Philip, one of the first seven deacons, of the new Jerusalem church, 
Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, come out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies and, and that were lame were healed. Okay? And there was great joy in that city. Pay attention. It says, now, when the apostles, verse 14, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they came down, prayed for them that they might have or they might receive the Holy Ghost. Let me explain what's happening here. All right. Peter had the key. The door had been opened to the Jews. So any Jew who become a Christian can lead another Jew to Christ. Okay, but no half, no half Jews and Gentiles had had been brought in yet because Peter had the key. He had to open the key of the king. Please understand, he had to open the gate or the door of the kingdom to allow the different classes of men to come in. Okay, Simon Peter had the key. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the key. And he had to use the key three times. Now he's using it for the second time. It says this, so Simon Peter came down, Peter and John, when they will come down, they prayed for them, we in, we in verse 15, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Please don't get caught up with that. You know, the, some of these Pentecostal movements tell you you have to tarry for the Holy Ghost, even though you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you tarry. You know, we had a little girl who came to our Monday night Bible study a few weeks ago, and she had a classic case of it. She was telling us how she received the Holy Ghost. I said, huh, you have the Holy Ghost? She said, yeah. Okay. 11 years old. She said, I've got the Holy Ghost. I said, well, tell me how you received this Holy Ghost. She said, well, my grandma told me what to do. And she told me just sit there and say, hallelujah, 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 over and over and over and over. She said, I don't even know how many times I said it. She said until she got something like slain in the spirit or something. And, and she said she passed out and her grandma told her she was out for, for two hours, and, and by the time she came to, you know, she said something else, and she said she, she knows she had the spirit. I said, wow, what a terrible tragedy, because that's not how we receive the spirit of God, and I think we all know that. Anybody who is saved know that's not how you receive this. You can say hallelujah, okay? The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You can say hallelujah, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You can do a lot of things with the phrase hallelujah. But nevertheless, you're not going to get saved by repeating it over and over until you get confused and say something that, that is appealing to somebody who doesn't understand what you're saying. So please understand what I'm saying here. So we are in Samaria and there's Simon the sorcerer who is looking at what's going on. It says in verse 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. It wasn't the apostles' hands. It was Peter's hand. He had the key. Peter had to open the door. So now they jump on this laying on of hands. And they say, oh, my God, just like Simon the sorcerer. Okay. So you got to lay hands on people now. All of that is the same stuff. It has nothing to do with us. Peter had the key. That's how he had to distribute it. That's how he had to open the door to the kingdom. But as of yet, there were no Samaritans in the kingdom. So though Philip went down there and preached unto them, and, and, and great things were happening, as of yet they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. Don't think that there's a delay. There is not. But at that point there was because Peter had to come down. Why? Because he had the key of the kingdom of heaven. Peter had to open the door. So you're looking at things that are happening just one time. It's not going to stay like that. But yet they continue to do this, okay? Where they laying hands on you and, and, and you're tarrying for the Holy Ghost and all this kind of dumb stuff. That, that, that Listen, all of that comes from Peter having the key and, and they had to wait 
okay? Because Peter had the key, and he had to come down and pray for them because as of yet, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 15 says. When they will come down, pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. That's a one-time thing. After Peter did that in Samaria that day, then any Jew can lead any Samaritan to Christ, or any Samaritan can lead any Jew to Christ, because now all of them have a key to the kingdom. And you and I, who are Christians today, have a copy of that key to the kingdom, and we can open that door for our loved ones to enter in. We are no different from them in this particular regard. But guess what? As of yet, no Gentiles had come in to the church yet. So we're not engaged yet. Right now, we just got Jews and Samaritans. We're in Acts chapter 8. So the Jews have had access. They gained access through Christ. And now the Samaritans have gained access through the same Christ. It's not that they had to do different things to gain access. Same thing that you had to do to get access granted. You had to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that through believing you'll have life in his name. What do we have to believe? Jesus died on the cross for my sins, okay? God has raised that Jesus up and made him Lord and Christ. Let me tell you, and we're going to follow him into everlasting life, and that's what this is all about. Well, what must I do to be saved, Pastor Noel? You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, and that he arose again from the dead. God wants to give you everlasting life as a free gift. He wants to give it to you. And in order for you to gain access to this gift, you have to hear this gospel message preached from Friday to Sunday. Yes, the tomb is empty. And because he lives, we will live too. And that's what this is all about. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified and sealed me forever. And one day, he's coming back. Glorious day. I'm telling you, we're talking about Jesus Christ here. And it's all grace, and it's all mercy. Nobody have been good enough to receive anything. So far, we've seen the Jews, and we've seen the Samaritans. But the Gentiles are still locked out until... We come to Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, and you see everything played out, okay? Now, so anyone can open the door to the Jews if they're Samaritan or Jewish, and anyone can open the door to Samaria if they're Samaritan or Jewish, okay? Because Peter had given the keys to the two groups, and now we have Acts chapter 10, the third use of the key. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian band. Don't forget he's a Gentile, an Italian man. A devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, that's three o'clock, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and your arms are come into memorial before God. Okay? And he said, And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose nickname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. Wait a minute. What do you mean he's going to tell me what I ought to do? You're an angel, aren't you? You're a messenger, aren't you? You're coming from the very presence of God, aren't you? You're going to send me to Joppa to wait for another guy to come give me a message when you're a messenger? How does this work? You see, you have to understand, Peter had the key. Until Peter opened the door, okay, and angels don't have a gospel message. You, I don't want to hear this, oh, my guardian angel, or oh, this angel, my baby died and became an angel. No, angels are angels. Leave them alone. They're standing down during the church age. You're front and center. You have more power in your mouth than you can imagine. Just by the Spirit of God being present in your life. You have the power to open the door to the kingdom because Peter opened the door at Cornelius' house. And it was very different from him opening the door in Jerusalem and in Samaria. 
So it's coming. The gospel is coming from the Jew first. Now you got the half Jew. The, we call them half breeds, so to speak. And then it's coming to Cornelius's house. So he sends for Peter. Why would the angel? That would have been my question. I'd tell that angel, you wait a minute. You better have something to say to me. You tell you sending me to Joppa to send for Peter? You came all the way down here to tell me that? You could have sent me a note. You're too important just to give me that message. So what's up? I mean, no angels. We haven't seen angels anymore. This will be the last time you get to see one and all that stuff. And you just come to tell me to send for Peter? Yes. By man came death, and by man is going to come the resurrection of the dead. You need to understand that. God is going to use you to get your loved one saved. He's, it's not the disposition of angels. It's you as human beings. By man came death, and by man came the resurrection of the dead. All right? Jesus became a man to save us. And now he has empowered every one of us with the Spirit of God so that we can take this key and open the door for our loved ones and any person that we meet. We can say, whosoever will, let them come and take the water of life freely. It's a free gift. People try to add addendums to it and make you got to do this work, and they talk about repentance and make it a work. Hey, if you hear the gospel message and you turn to Jesus Christ, that's all, that's repentance right there. They try to make it works, you know. All you hear about repentance, they, oh, you got to turn this way and do this and no what the listen to me what the law could not do in that it was weak because we are flesh god sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemn sin in the flesh the law can't do it nobody can tell you that you can live right enough to get saved or to stay saved okay you are a mess the bible says guess what man is not just fallen but every one of us are so corrupted that there's nothing we can do we didn't it's not because of me alone yes i make a mess of things but adam sinned and now death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned and people try to tell you, well, you can work it out with God. No, you're like Simon the Sorcerer, if that's the stuff you're talking. If you try to make repentance a work, no, it's not work. For by grace are we saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to me. Jesus did all that was necessary and all to him we owe. You have to understand that. You have to accept the fact that God said that you are invariably flawed, okay? And there's nothing you can do to fix yourself. So he came to fix it for you because he loves you. And we are saved by grace, God's grace, through our faith. You got to believe that Jesus died on that cross, that he was buried and that he arose again from the dead. That's the entrance right into the kingdom. If somebody asks you, you know, could you tell me what I must do to be saved? Oh, I don't care what they tell you. If they don't tell you, you must be born again. Okay, I'll take that. But how am I born again? I've got to believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried, and he arose again from the dead. Oh, I still have a few minutes. I can finish this up this week. Now, picture this. So now... Peter is on the rooftop. Cornelius gets the message, and now Peter goes up on the upstairs porch to take a nap in the afternoon because he's hungry, okay? And he goes into a trance, and he sees a sheet comes down, knitted in four corners, okay? And all kind of animals, you know, pigs and, and all kinds of stuff, catfish and all the kind of stuff they can't eat is coming, falling out of there and stuff. And the, the Lord said, rise, Peter, slay and eat, okay? And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never anything eaten anything common or unclean. We, you know, I'm a devout Jew, and you told us not to eat these things. Then Jesus said, what I have cleansed, let no man call common. Wait a minute. Then so I had pastors telling me, well, the Bible says you can eat what you want because call nothing he has cleansed common. They don't understand what was going on there. Peter needed 
Okay, a dose of reality because Peter had a serious problem going around Gentiles. Even after Gentiles came into the church, Paul had to straighten Peter out because Paul called him a racist pretty much and called him out. He said, you're hanging around the Gentiles when none of your Jewish brethren are around, okay? And as soon as some of your Jewish brethren come around, then you don't hang around with the Gentiles. Sound like some of the whites and blacks that we know. You know what I mean? They come around you and you know what I mean, when they're nobody, but they don't want to see, they, they don't want you to see their friends, okay? And they don't want their friends see you fraternizing with, you, you all understand what I mean, okay? And, and that's what was going on there, okay? But I just want you to understand this, okay? Peter opens the door at Cornelius' house, and we have to read some of this, Okay? Because what happened was, when Peter had that dream, and it happened three times, then immediately he got up and he was scratching his head, and he was wondering what the dream could mean. And that's where we pick up this story. It says in verse 19, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Arise. Therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause, and why have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God. And a good report among the nation of the Jews was warned from God by unholy angels to send for you into the house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. So Peter lodged the men who came from Cornelius's house. And on the next morning, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. You need to know that part right there. That footnote is important. Peter didn't go by himself. It says, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. That's critical, okay? Because now the gospel is about to flow to the Gentiles. But you know what? I thought I could finish this up, but I don't think I can, because there are as many points in this one as there have been in the other two, okay? And all of them have been hijacked. They hijacked what happened at Cornelius' house. They hijacked what happened in Samaria. And they hijacked what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But all we saw were three different groups in these particular actions of Simon Peter being granted access to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, as mentioned in the New Testament, especially in the book of Matthew, is speaking primarily of the millennium, God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God, as we read it in the book of Matthew, seemed to represent heaven itself proper. And you will find that to be a, a rule in, as we go through the scripture. There are many references to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus speaks of all the time. And he's merely speaking of him coming to earth and reigning here on earth for a thousand years and we will reign with him. But we're going to continue this story on next week. But for now, I want to ask you a question. If you were to die right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Why not? Are you crazy? God loves you so much that, he's, first of all, you're living in the United States of America, the only nation where the word of God still has free course. You are not saved? Are you kidding me? You're playing Russian roulette with a semi-automatic weapon with a round in the chamber. Because guess what? You're going to die. And if you die in your sin, you go to hell. If you go to hell, you're doing it against everything that God has for you. He loves you so much that he did everything necessary for you not to go to hell. All you have to do is accept the fact that he did it. What are you saying, Pastor Noel? Well, guess what? When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Let me explain something to you. Jesus had no earthly father because sin is passed on through the male sperm. 
Please understand. It's a judicial act, okay? Adam sinned, and so death passed upon all men because we all are descendants of Adam. So everyone has to die because Adam sinned. So Jesus came as the last Adam, okay? He started out just like the other Adam. He was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in the garden, okay, where, I mean, Adam was in the garden of Eden. Jesus was in, in that garden of temptation, where he was tempted in all the same places, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We can go through it in detail, but Jesus passed the test. So God the Father said, okay, you can clean up the mess that the first Adam made. So Jesus is called the last Adam. So he fixed what Adam broke, okay? And I want you to know that it's been fixed for you. At Cornelius' house, the same Simon Peter opened the door to the Gentiles. And since then, the door has been opened. So any Gentile can lead a Jew to Christ. Any Gentile can lead a Samaritan to Christ. Every Jew can lead a Samaritan to Christ and a Gentile to Christ. And every Samaritan so likewise. Because the door has been opened to all of us. And all of us have been granted that key now that Simon has opened the door to the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said he would. On next week, we're going to look at some things at Cornelius's house, because I think they're vitally important. Okay, so if you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ right now, I know we have problems. All of us do. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is no hope. You've been told if you keep the commandments, if you live right, if you go to church, if you do this, if you do that, and you, it's, a, it's impossible. Nobody can do it. Nobody could do it. The law couldn't work because it was weak because we are flesh. But God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like us, but he wasn't sinful. He became sin for us. You don't have to understand it. But while Jesus was on the cross, God the Father took your sin and mine and Jesus bore our sin as a scapegoat did in the Old Testament. Go read about the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16, and you will see exactly how Jesus carried the sins away. But the scapegoat was never killed in the Old Testament, but Jesus died on the cross. So guess what? He eliminated it altogether. Okay? It, it is finished. Once he finished it, listen to me. Once you accept Jesus Christ unto them, that wait for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We have everlasting life. Don't play with this. Why would you love your family here on earth? Okay? And you're going to live with them for as long as you live. Let's say you live to be 90 or 100. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? And then you're parted at death and you go to, to heaven and there are no people that look like you? Why? Let the, 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 the party continue. You need to know your You will know one another in heaven. But what if they're not there? What if you are not there? You've got, a, you've got a lot of work to do. Get saved. Give your heart to the Lord. And then mimic this step. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? That he was buried and he arose again from the dead? You do? Well, repeat after me. Let's pray. Almighty God, my heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me so and sending your son Jesus to prove your love toward me. Lord Jesus, I believe in your virgin birth. I believe you lived a sinless life. I believe you went to Calvary and died for my sin in my place. I believe you were buried, and I believe you arose again from the dead with all power in your hand. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing that for me. You died for my sin, not for your own. And I thank you for it. And I'm confessing my sin to you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you were buried and I believe you arose again from the dead. You are Christ, the King. Thank you for loving me and commending your love toward me, Father, in that while I'm yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my humble prayer, forgiving my sins, and saving my soul. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you're one of us. Okay?
find a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, or go in our archives and read. I mean, we have tons of stuff, years of Bible teaching, sound teaching, in our, on our website, perfectpeacebaptistchurch.org. You're familiar with it. Go and look at the, the prior podcasts. We probably have stuff all the way back to 2014. Okay, but I love you, and we'll finish this part two up of the keys of the kingdom on next week. So, my friends, I love you, and Lord willing, I'll see you soon. <laughs>